Welcome, everybody. Today, we have the pleasure to have with us Dr. Rafal Makovic from the Department of Hematology, Transplantation and Internal Medicine of the Medical University of Warsaw in Poland. Rafal, it's a pleasure to have you with us. How are you today? Yes, uh, it's a pleasure and honor to, to be with you. Thank you. Thank you very much for your invitation. It's great, great to be with you. Thank you very much for accepting. So today we are talking uh, um, about your research entitled Allogenic Hematopoietic Stem Cell Transplantation for Adult HLH, a retrospective study by the chronic malignancies and inborn error working parties of the EBMT. So first of all, uh, I think we should define what is HLH, right? What, why it's so important to have clinical acumen and promptly recognize this condition? Uh, yes, so HLH, it's abbreviation for hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis. Uh, so I prefer the, the abbreviated name because some yeah, people exactly. have real, real, <laughs> real problems with, with, with pronunciation and remember, remembering the, the full name. Um, it's one of cytokine storm uh, syndromes, which is not very well defined zone of, of uh, hyperinflammatory disorders. Uh, usually we use HLA 2004 criteria, uh, at least uh, five out of eight of them to, uh, to define it. For, for diagnosis, but there are also some other uh, diagnostic systems like H-score, for example, or OHY, uh, which was um, published this year. But uh, basically, HLH is hyperinflammation, which doesn't stop by itself until it kills a patient, or we diagnose it and treat it. So the diagnosis, as you've said, is very, very important. And as a very large... Um, inflammation, it doesn't have any characteristic pathognomonic features. It's growing very large infl inflammatory reaction. Uh, and among criteria are, of course, fever, uh, cytopenias, splenomegaly, hyperferritinemia. This can be characteristic because as you deal with patients with iron deficiency, it's like several nanogr nanograms per milliliter. In inflammation, of course, it's several hundred, several thousand, but in HLH, you can have uh, several dozen thousand or even hundred or 200,000. Then it will be quite characteristic for HLH, but of course, different st states like acute liver failure can also lead to such high hyperferritinemia. Uh, but this is the most char characteristic part. But you have to also remember that there are some patients with lower ferritin who also have HLH. So hyperferritinemia, hypertriglyceridemia, uh, hypofibrinogenemia, so high triglycerides, low fibrinogen. Uh, and uh, if I didn't omit, and hemophagocytosis. This is important thing to, uh, to stop a second because other name for HLH is hemophagocytic syndrome. It's not uh, synonymous. Some people use it in a bit different uh, meanings, but, uh, but it's also uh, a name of, of such disorder. And uh, hemophagocytosis is a phenomenon when uh, macrophages engulf healthy bone marrow cells. 
because they are overactivated in this hyperinflammation. But it can also happen in different states, like even after blood transfusion in some um, infections like Leishmania, uh, also in some other prolonged uh, inflammations, including sepsis. That's why it's not pathognomonic. Uh, so uh, neg uh, like excluding HLH because there is no hemophagocytosis would be a grave error because there can be other criteria for field. And diagnosing HLH because somebody has hemophagocytosis and some symptoms, so hemophagocytosis plus symptoms is hemophagocytic syndrome, not really, not that easy. Uh, it could be also a, a mistake. So hemophagocytosis, and then there are two criteria which are not widely available. Uh, soluble receptor for interleukin-2, so SCD25, and uh, activity of NK cells. So these are for more specialized centers, but they are included in, in diagnostic criteria. So this is how you diagnose, and basically it, uh, it describes a lot of features of, uh, of HLH. Thank you. Yeah, I vividly remember the case of a kid who actually um, had this uh, characteristic bone marrow feature, uh, which is like the emperipolysis, right? Like the macrophage mm -hmm. that embrace the vit the still vital cell in, in the um, in the cytoplasm. And also, yes, important as you say that these uh, two minor criteria that uh, um, are important, especially for the familiar ones, in particular, the, the granulation, right? Mm -hmm. So um, can you guide us through the design uh, of your study? Uh, what was the impetus behind uh, your idea and uh, which were the aims? Mm -hmm. So impetus was that uh, I realized that there is no such analysis and I was interested uh, how how does uh, allogeneic stem cell transplantation work in adults? Of course, um, a little bit of, of history. Uh, even though the very, very, very first patients uh, were diagnosed with HLH, or like it was called a bit differently, uh, they were adults. Uh, mostly this disease is uh, diagnosed in children. Oh, sorry, it's not disease. This is important thing. Uh, it's... Um, a syndrome because it can be triggered by different uh, triggering factors. Usually infections, malignancies, or autoimmune, um, autoimmune uh, diseases or autoinflammatory diseases. And then in this setting, it's called MAS, macrophage activation syndrome. But there are also some other subdefinitions for MAS, but let's let's stick let's stick to this one. So this is not not a disease, but but a syndrome, and and also a lot of things in treatment and prognosis depends on on the on the triggering factor. So first, um, it was uh, more widely diagnosed in uh, children, uh, owing to fundamental works by Professor Grita Janka. Uh, and while it was, um, and of course those children had, uh, yes, why do people get such um, reaction? So in children, uh, frequently there is an error in, like inborn error, um, in uh, cytotoxic granule pathway, meaning that uh, 
uh, NK cells and uh, cytotoxic lymphocytes cannot kill target cells because the cytotoxic granules don't, don't work. Uh, and of course, HLH is triggered by one of the very first infections uh, in such child. Then, of course, you cannot do much better than somehow stop it and then uh, perform allogeneic stem cell transplantation because without new uh, properly working um, immune system, this child will develop HLH with the next infection and the next infection and it cannot go on like this. Uh, so transplantation and, uh, and diagnosis of HLH, it was quite um, known in, uh, in children, whereas in adults, um, HLH was much more underdiagnosed and um, infections which uh, cause HLH in adults, it can be EBV in, in, uh, or, or CMV virus BV19, usually in uh, young adults. And then you've got a lot of malignancies and, and autoimmune disease or um, autoinflammatory disorders. So um, then I was interested, what's, what are the outcomes of, of adults with, with HLH who are transplanted? And I thought maybe like in Europe, BMT is the organization who has a lot of data. And uh, I'd like to thank to Professor Nicholas Kreger, who, who was open to, to this idea. And, and we checked there was a lot of problems with finding, identifying those patients. Finally, we found them. A quite reasonable group of 87 adult patients. I mean, it's, it's the largest group that, uh, that was uh, published. Uh, this is main strength of this, of this uh, manuscript. But of course, uh, the data is retrospective as usual in BMT. We don't have all the precise data. Uh, yes, so my impetus was to check what's what's going on, what, what is the prognosis in adults. I see. So um, you already started like by describing uh, the study cohort characteristics. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, was the clinical picture uh, that um, you briefly summarized when we were talking about the um, diagnostic criteria the same? Did you find an overlap of characteristics uh, also in adult? Um, what, which were like the main characteristics that popped up from like this uh, um, detailed analysis? Yes, so uh, we had uh, basic data from, from standard questionnaires that, that uh, standard data for EBMT patients. Uh, and of course, they're, they're not so much HLH oriented. So we uh, designed uh, an HLH oriented questionnaire, which was distributed to centers. And uh, we got responses for 33 patients. Uh, then we've made sub-analysis that there is no significant difference in this subgroup and the other patients. Um, so they are somehow representative for, for, for this group. And, um, and it really confirmed a picture of, of HLH with uh, fever diagnosis, hyperferritinemia, uh, and um, hemophagocytosis. So, so it was... Um, so, so we are quite uh, sure that, that they were in Paul, uh, patients with, with, with typical uh, HLH, but of course uh, the diagnosis was made by the centers and, and they decided uh, how to report their, their data. 
so this is so it uh, was anyway like the clinical picture of presentation was consistent with the diagnosis of HLH mm -hmm. and um, uh, now let's talk also about the results of your analysis specifically the outcomes which are obviously the main aims of uh, your um, uh, study. Did you find any major factor impacting the survival outcomes of this patient, like for example, a reduced intensity versus uh, myeloblative conditioning regimens or any others? Uh, so in um, a little bit of background, in, um, in children, like the... Um, um, yes, the, the largest um, change in, in survival and uh, in treatment was introducing etoposide uh, in treatment of HLH. And then uh, there were two, two protocols very, very similar, uh, HLH94 and, H, uh, and HLH2004. Uh, and they, uh, as we've discussed before, uh, included transplant at, at the end of, of treatment of, of such child. Uh, usually myeloablative uh, conditioning with, with including um, also, also a double bite. But um, there was high uh, non-relapse mortality. So a lot of deaths was attribu were attributed to, to uh, conditioning toxicity. And there were um, successful attempts with uh, reduced intensity. Because uh, if you consider um, HLHS, immune defect, you don't have to really fight the last remaining resistant uh, AML cell. You need to get reasonably, reasonably working uh, immune system. And as uh, very nice work burnt hearts from uh, Kylenberg's group show that uh, if you have at least 20, 30% chimerism, so not so, not so high, uh, like the risk of relapse is, is reasonably low. Uh, so reduced intensity was um, uh, a, an interesting option for, for, uh, for children. And Rebecca Marsh shown very nice data where uh, reduced intensity had survival of 90%, whereas uh, for, for myeloblative conditioning, it was, it was much lower. Uh, so when I saw the, the data, like my, uh, like the, the very first first uh, look, like my uh, like the the thing that really astonished me was that not only there is no significant difference between uh, reduced and myeloblative conditioning in adults, but those Kaplan-Meier curves are really superimposed. It's like one line. So I was really surprised because I thought like we had also some young adults and and reduced intensities also better in uh, older patients. So, so it could be like this, but it was, or maybe it, there would be a trend tendency, but uh, the group is not so big. So maybe this, this small difference will be non-significant, but there was virtually no difference. So this was uh, a big surprise for me because at that time um, there was tendency to move towards reduced intensity because pediatric results were uh, were very promising uh, and there were there was no good uh, like lar no, no large groups of, of, of adults 
So reduced intensity uh, seemed very appealing. Uh, now the situation changed a bit because also pediatric results in reduced intensity are not so great. Let's say so there are many attempts how to optimize. So, uh, so this is how, how the field is, is, is going on now. So with uh, mild ablative and reduced, there was no difference and it was a main uh, finding because based on pediatric data, you rather shouldn't perform mild ablative. And based on our data, you can, if you have some, some preference, why, why not? Uh, and what we found was uh, significant for, uh, for survival, uh, it was age, non, uh, not surprisingly. Uh, so usually younger patients have better prognosis. Um, and here it was, uh, it was also uh, visible, of course, there was, um, also more uh, patients with primary HLH among, among this group. And here is, is another like a small box with, with another clinical pair, what's primary, what's secondary HLH. These names are not very correct, but they're they, they are somehow informative. So primary HLH is when you have a mutation uh, and it's genetically based. Uh, let's say so then transplant is indicated and second, but uh, it's not so primary when you've got young adult and even in a child, it's triggered by infection. So even in very small toddler, it's also secondary to that infection, but of course predisposition is, 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 uh, is the key. Whereas secondary is when you don't have a real genetic um, uh, cause and and the trigger itself is very um, strong like for example lymphoma uh, that someone had all the infections including EBV and when he was 50 he got lymphoma and this triggered HLH because it was such a strong trigger um, yeah so we had this so younger adults would be more fit for, for transplant, of course, and for, for complications. Um, and also maybe a bit more, more, more primary uh, cases which um, have better prognosis. Uh, but what's uh, important in our study, uh, we didn't have, uh, we had hardly any patients with uh, malignancy. There were three patients with out of 87 with some malignancies, like one was diagnosed, uh, it was transplanted due to EBV, uh, HLH, and then he had relapse. And when he died, they found that uh, it was from, from autopsy, etc. So this group didn't uh, contain patients with uh, malignancy associated HLH. Well, we cannot draw a conclusion, of course, for those. But when, instead, what about relapses? Because I saw, like, from your curves, uh, that like after two years, uh, the um, uh, relapse rate goes at a plateau. Seems mm -hmm. like if you if patient passes by these two years cutoff, they uh, they will do good, right? Yes, and this is this is good information because. Um, like overall survival was about 44%, what is, what is uh, worse than, than in children. Uh, but um, 
Like good information is that that uh, allogeneic stem cell transplantation can provide cure for for this disorder. That uh, at some point uh, risk of relapse is is low, and of course there like the relapses were like early, and then they were going down. So at some point patients can be can be cured. This is this is good good information. Correct. And what can you comment on the difference as to the um, outcomes of uh, primary versus secondary? You already said something like age matters, of course, but uh, um, is this difference perhaps driven by the high frequency of patients that are transplanted somehow quicker in the um, primary disorder versus the secondary disorder, uh, which somehow like is more difficult to be diagnosed or because it, it requires that the clinician suspect the HLH and like perform all uh, sorts of like clinical and bomar evaluation. So perhaps like also uh, the evidence of a primary disorder makes the decision to go and record to transplant way more easy, quick and therefore uh, uh, mm -hmm. beneficial for the patient. Yes, yes, you're totally right, um, because we didn't say about uh, indications for transplant, and, and this is the important uh, part, because in primary HLH, especially in children, as we discussed, this is the, the best only option. Okay, but in adults, you have to check, like, what's, what's the tr strength of the, of the trigger, and do you have any predisposition? So if you have, like, 19-year-old, with EBV triggered HLH, and you find some imported mutation. Of course, um, like adults with HLH are have survived at least 18 years, so they don't have um, very um, like strong mutations, which uh, make uh, some protein to have no function. But um, but you find some, some mutations and, uh, and then the decision is quite uh, obvious. So uh, the patient is young, he has, uh, and probably he would be in, in good clinical uh, shape and in remission. For those without, um, uh, without mutation for secondary HLH, um, uh, transplant is indicated for patients with relapsed refractory or uh, CNS uh, disease. So the same, uh, even young patient, but without mutation in, in uh, one of those genes or gene was not sequenced or, or something like this, would just be in remission and he can relapse with HLH and then, or he can be refractory from the beginning of course, some genetic ones can also be refractory, but those who are with secondary and everything went fine, went fine, they will rather not be transplanted. But those with secondary and some problems, large problems like refractory disease, they would go to transplant. Of course, not in perfect shape because they had refractory disease, and it can affect overall uh, outcome of, of the transplant. So this is, uh, it was also observed in children that a patient with familial disease uh, have, um, uh, have better, better outcome. Here we had um, uh, 
like we've shown it for PFS, but not from for overall survival that there was there was a, a tendency. So right. this is an important factor. Why did the patient? What what were the indications for for the transplant? Correct, but like since we are somehow at the interface of a disorder that may be triggered either by um, inherited or acquired factors, how do you deal with that in adults, specifically in adult cases? Because is testing for the um, for germline HLA related variants also indicated for older patient? Is there an age cutoff? or does also their presence and thereby the definition of uh, these uh, familiar cases, uh, um, as we say, then is useful uh, for the decision to go to transplant, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with like the uh, genetic testing? Do you test all, even if they are like older? Mm -hmm. So it depends uh, on the availability of, of, the te of tests, but also like, again, if you've got, a 19 year old with EBV, you would rather go for testing. If you've got like, okay, 70 year old, probably wouldn't transplant, but like 55 year old yeah. to make it very, very good candidate for transplant. And uh, with a lymphoma, uh, as long as this patient would be in remission of lymphoma and doesn't get a relapse or another lymphoma or another malignancy, probably he should be fine. Okay. Uh, so you wouldn't go for transplant, and then you can look for genetic factors if you want. Uh, I would say that it doesn't hurt, but it might, uh, because um, it's a bit um, there. Uh, like testing, over testing can lead to different problems. Like um, when you find some hypomorphic mutations or even polymorphisms in one of HLH-related genes, or maybe it's heterozygous, then you're starting to be uneasy. And then it can trigger a decision of transplant, which is which might be too, too early. Of course, you don't know in, in every, any, every patient. You cannot uh, save the game and check what would happen Maybe like without the transplant, he would relapse very badly in several months in HLA that you cannot control. Of course, it can happen, but of course, we can. Uh, we all know what can happen uh, with allogeneic stem cell transplantation when it doesn't go as smoothly as as we would like. So this is also a risk for patient. And for example, like easy example is uh, perforin A ninety one B mutated like polymorphism. Not, not, not a mutation, which is in like about eight, nine percent of, of Caucasian population. And it has some impact on, uh, on activity of this perforin protein. Uh, and it was associated with some, um, uh, with some uh, predispositions to HLA. But if it's there, it's very, very slight, let's say, uh, to. Um, like there was very nice study uh, by Ilya Voskoboink. Uh, they got data from some uh, cardiology cohort of 13,000 uh, patients. So in cardiology, they've got much larger cohorts and they checked what's the uh, frequency of the allele in uh, of this perforin. 
uh, allele in this uh, population. Because if homozygous, uh, homozygotes are eliminated due to frequent HLH or, or lymphomas, or there should be less uh, homozygotes in, in population of around 70 year olds. And it was as Hardy-Weinberg law would say, like it was, it was normal. So it's not a little uh, mutation. It's uh, like you can say, if you've got a patient who has this polymorphism, you say, okay, it might have contributed, but of course it's not an indication for transplant. Correct. And then as, you you say, some... as you say, it's a polymorphism. So yeah. uh, it should be regarded as such, right? Especially when we talk about inherited traits, we always like uh, have to be very careful in, for like genetic counseling because this might also affect the choice of the donors in within the mm -hmm. family, right? So yeah, so it's it's also important. Uh, yes, and and there is another uh, important thing. Like one is okay, not to choose a sibling donor with same uh, mutation because right. it yeah, wouldn't exactly. make sense. But on the other hand, there is a question about this uh, sibling who didn't develop HLH, even though it has the same mutation, because uh, there is this trigger. So this primary is also a bit secondary. Uh, this child didn't uh, have contact or, or the contact was, was smaller with, with same infectious trigger and didn't develop HLH so far. And there was uh, interesting work, but uh, retrospective, that uh, children who are transplanted upfront before they develop HLH had better prognosis than those uh, who are waiting for, for it to, um, to come and then to have transplant in remission. Uh, of course, in, in adults, we don't have such problems because our patients are getting uh, only older. But in children, if you have like one-year-old or two-year-old, like the, the child is developing, so it's better, uh, as I understand, to have a transplant a bit, a bit later. Uh, th that's why, that's why um, it's tempting to wait. And, and this, this is the important decision about upfront a transplant because of course those um, those mutations uh, uh, which uh, cause HLH in, in in early childhood are very strong. Um, factors, yeah. Yes. So last question that is more like um, a personal uh, curiosity: Why did you um, decide to? focus um, on HLH, is this, a, is this like a particular uh, interest of yours? Uh, is there any particular reason for that? Uh, yes, so I'm uh, interested in HLH for like most of my medical uh, like, uh, career as, as a doctor. And uh, I picked this from, uh, from my mentor, Professor Viktor Jacek. Uh, this one, Viktor Jacek was, was head, head of my department. And he was uh, among uh, the first ones to, to diagnose uh, HLH in adults. Uh, because um, after work of, of Professor Janka, it was uh, quite known in, uh, in pediatric community. It's one of, and it's still a bit like this, that uh, pediatric hematologists, hemato-oncologists know, okay, HLH, yes, we know it. It's quite rare, but it's one of our uh, less frequently found diseases and, and they, they don't have any problems. With, with acknowledging that, that it exists. And in adults, it wasn't known. So he found that in a teenager that, that there might be some syndrome. And then he started to spread the word and 
and um, and I took it from from him this this interest and there is a lot a lot of things to be uh, still still to be done a lot of a lot of discussions uh, I mean histiocyte society nature life steering committee so there is there is a lot of uh, a lot of work <laughs> nice and it's also yeah. important to know for um, our trainees that like uh, sometimes passion can be uh, relay like the olympic torch from our mentors mm -hmm. to us right <laughs> so it's yeah. like also nice like yeah. uh, growing within the same passion and being like embraced by the same passion for something that is also uh characterizing the career of your mentors <laughs> And for me, it was uh, like very important in this that um, we we are we didn't live in those times. But for example, when there was hardly any cure for for anything for any disease, and it was like modern times, like 50 years ago, like the Beatles were playing or and and people were going to the moon, and most of malignancies you you couldn't treat them. And then there was a treatment which provided like 50% survival was wow we can save every second like it was and now we don't observe such uh, now we are observing small steps from 70 to 75 percent but what is very very good of course and we are in much better position uh, but uh, here for me it was there are people if we don't diagnose it they really die and they have zero percent chance out of mechanism of, of this disease and if we simply diagnose it, start some steroids, etoposite, like inexpensive drugs, they've got around 50%. Whoa, and I couldn't really stand that there are people who have no chance uh, and, and you can give them so, so a lot of uh, popularization also. And, uh, and, um, and there's also another important thing of the differentiating HLH and sepsis because the, there is a huge over, like, uh, overlap, like among thousands patients with, with HLH, there are, there are patients, single patients with, uh, with HLH who, who, need, who, who could be cured. And even with the best intensive care, they cannot be uh, cured. So, so, so this is another important subject. Well, that's amazing and thank you for uh, bringing up these uh, issues and talking about hlh with us i'm sure like that uh, everybody will appreciate them and uh, thank you again for accepting our invitation thank you very much uh, i hope that now uh, people will be more aware of, of hlh and this is this is my mission uh, and can i made uh, uh, make a, a short um, like invitation i would like to invite everyone uh, in a few weeks uh, there will be a European Hematology Association Congress in Vienna. And just before, there is a young IHA research meeting uh, focused on research and uh, young scientists, so uh, also um, clinical scientists, so you're, you're welcome. Uh, and you're also invited to uh, follow the pages of uh, young IHA committee, which I'm a member of. Uh, so stay tuned and it's nice to to have you in uh from the young iha committee with us of the ebmt trainee committee which uh, uh we, we cooperate yes we cooperate and uh, we also invite you to um, follow us on our 
social media and we are going to have uh, um, our trainee day uh, that was uh, for the first time done this year uh, in uh, like virtually it was supposed mm -hmm. to be Prague uh, and hopefully next year we will have it in Paris too so nice to collaborate yeah. among our between our uh, association yes so, so thank you thank you very much for this thank you so much opportunity to spread the word thank you thank you